Hey there, it's Erica, and you're listening to Better Product. We're the show that celebrates great digital products and the people and processes that make them stronger. No matter what area of product you focus on, we can all agree, you simply can't have a better product without good research. But product research has changed a lot in recent years. We have more tools to help us than ever before, and new philosophies about when research should happen. Just a quick hint, it's happening all the time. We recorded this episode on Science Fair Eve at Innovate Map, when many of us were deep into our own research projects. We are also in luck because Megan is joining us in person for today's conversation. Let's hear what she and Christian have to say about the future of product research and how to make the most of it now. All right, we are recording. Erica. Recording. Science Fair Eve. I guess our listeners don't know what that is. What was that? Wow, that really just searched for a really long phrase on my Apple Watch. Megan, you should say what Science Fair is because you are this year's like Science Fair ambassador. And I, Erica, before you tell me I'm getting off topic, I want to talk about it because our topic today I think is tied to Science Fair. Absolutely. So Science Fair is an evolution. It's an event we have about twice a year, and it's an evolution of what we used to call Shop Week, which is basically an entire week of innovating on Innovate Map as a business. And so everybody could kind of work on some of those internal projects that we might not have time to work on during the year when we have client work. So Science Fair now is a factor of having a lot more people and (laughs) probably a lot less time. And people work on those internal projects over the course of a few months. Everybody (laughs) presents them on a Friday afternoon that we call Science Fair. So as Christian said, I'm the organizer this time around. I will hopefully never be the organizer again. It, no, it's fine. It's a lot of fun. It's a rotating title. Yeah, rotating, it's rotating. Yeah. We need a better title, um, actually. But it's, it's exciting every year because some of the projects everybody knows are happening and, and some of them are surprises and some of them are more serious and business changing and others are a ton of fun and just yeah. for, you know, the sake of being ridiculous. So that's tomorrow. And a key part of a good science fair project is research. Which Segway. is what we're talking about <laughs> Yes, we are talking about product research. It touches a lot of your jobs, listeners, whether you're in design, product marketing, you're a founder. There, there's a lot that you need to know about your product, and research is going to help you uncover it at every stage. And there's a lot changing about product research, so that's what we uh, felt called to talk about today. In the spirit of science fair and product research, I have an icebreaker, as we've been starting to do every episode. So I'm going to ask the wackier one. Yes. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I want you two to go back to your school days. There. Not again. Not again? Ouch. Oh, sorry. I was remembering the time. (laughs) Remembering? Oh. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. No, I do remember. This guy kicked me. Okay. New memories. New memories. Well, this is all about the work, actually. So maybe a little boring. We'll see. I wanted to know what was your best research paper in school or what was the worst one that you submitted and somehow got away with (laughs) if you got a good grade. Uh, What grades are we talking here? Anytime. I did some some probably less than ethical things in college. I don't know. Who hasn't, David? (laughs) (laughs) So um, that would be my worst one. Well, I, okay, I'll start. Negative that wasn't unethical, but just very frustrating. Freshman year of college, 2000, 
I wrote this paper that I felt really good about. It was about a book I'd read for a pre-law class, but I didn't really have like a good like like computer at my dorm to, to work on. So I did a lot of it on this library computer and I thought everything like saved to some central server. This is before the cloud. Right. Uh, nope, didn't. So I didn't get any of my paper saved. Like the computers, like every time you logged out, erased it. No computer, had to rewrite it, got a C, and then everything went downhill from there. My best report, I would say I wrote a really great, what I think was a really great paper on the Great Depression and New Deal in seventh grade. Mm. Um, I bet it's probably cited on Google Scholar. It was really scholarly. I checked out like five books from the library and some stuff I know about that today comes from there. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I have a few examples, a couple that I remember. Probably one of my favorite ones that I ever wrote was uh, in, it was in college, it was probably sophomore year maybe, and I was in an art history class and I wrote a really fun paper to write for me, fun for me, about uh, witchcraft in art history. And wow. so I went, I forget what my thesis was or what, but it was about like the representation of women and how witchcraft showed up in positive and negative ways and just like different ways that that played out. I did have like a very specific thesis, but I don't remember it. I just remember it being cool to look in all of that. Yeah, what eras did you explore? I don't know. Uh, I don't even okay. remember now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it was a little bit more modern, and by that I mean like 1700s, 1800s. Yeah, not like you know BC or anything like that. The worst paper, I don't think I, I didn't write, but the worst thing I ever pitched was probably I really wanted to study abroad in Australia. I ended up studying abroad in Australia, but I made the mistake of trying to tie my senior thesis project to that. And I went to my advisor and I was like, I want to learn how to design a surfer van. And so you should send me to Australia (laughs) (laughs) so I could do that research. And my advisor was like, maybe come up with something better. And I said, fine. And then I still went to Australia and I had way more fun than I would have tried to do research the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Trips aren't for work. You don't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Should I say mine? Yeah. You should. Yeah, I'm a little nervous since I'm a little closer to college so um, I wrote this last year actually I know I shouldn't say that you might have actually one of them I was going to say I wrote last year I mean the one I'm most proud of like probably my best work in school ever so I double majored in journalism and political science and I had to write a thesis my senior year it was a year-long project that time Erica was taking things really seriously and was like I want to research QAnon and misinformation and how it's disrupting society I researched newspapers around the country, like their editorial pages and community opinion pages to see where information that was talking about QAnon was being published by the community and where it was, I guess, getting through editorial guidelines of like fact checking and things like that. You gotta be careful with stuff like that because I have a friend who, she did a research paper I remember on, I forget exactly what, but a certain part of Israel. Mm. And um, she Mm. like did just a crazy deep dive into it. It was like whatever she was researching was just very, very, um, like, innocuous or, like, you'd never even think, like, yeah. this might happen. But she got so deep into it that she ended up getting put on watch lists mm. and, like, couldn't get on an airplane. Exactly, yeah. And that was, that was a lot of considerations I had with my professor. It's like, okay, there are two ways I can do this. I can go on, like, 4chan and Reddit and get Ooh. actually embedded in the community, which is a lot riskier, a lot more ethical questions, right? You were going to pose as an incel on 4chan. I was not going for to the pose sake of a research as an incel paper. on 4chan. I was going to observe them. Um, 
But I've heard embedded into the community. Yeah, <laughs> that's I what too. I heard. That is what I said. Maybe that's not what I meant. But, Keep her uh, on the watch list. <laughs> but it did end up being a lot more of an interesting question. Like, that's, that's a place where you expect to find that stuff, right? But yeah. where is it happening in local newspapers that are supposed to be gatekeepers of fact and truth? Interesting. So it ended up being really interesting, I thought. So, okay, well, thank you for exploring that with me. That was fun. I, I would love to talk to Christian about the New Deal more. That sounds really insightful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's clear. It was in the 40s. It's getting getting older every year. <laughs> it yes. is. It's the older deal. History is no less important. So, yeah, product research. So we wanted to cover this because it's really a discipline and product that's always been there. You absolutely need research to build any better product, which for our listeners, especially if you're new, We consider a better product one that is marketable, valuable, and usable. So we think about that, again, from all the disciplines, all those perspectives. And research is kind of the undercurrent underpinning all of that. Without research, we we can't know if um, our messaging is landing with people. Without user research, we can't know if people are getting the right experience out of a product. And so that's always been there, right? But product research itself is kind of at a point where it's growing up. We're seeing a lot more digital products based around helping us do better research. And so now seems like a good time to keep looking at what's happening. So I wanted to start by asking you, Christian and Megan, what did research first look like when you got started in product? Like what was the standard and how much would you say it was valued or prioritized in the the industry in general? I mean, I guess I'll start because I've been working in the industry longer, you know, coming out of grad school in 2007 it was really hard. User research was not very common. Like the difference between like generative and and summative research, like generative being like generating ideas and summative being like summarizing. It was more on like summative or quantitative versus qualitative. However you want to look at it, it was in, in, I worked at Autodesk, which had millions of users. So a lot of their research was after the products already out there, figuring out like what's working the best, that that sort of like quintessential example of Google testing to find the right blue, whether that's true or not. That was like really where testing started. What I've observed over the last 15 years is it's almost like moving earlier and earlier in the stage. So now researchers aren't relegated to just user testing and after the fact, they're actually more in the beginning of it, helping generate ideas as well. And there's different companies that are more, I would say, pioneering than others. So there's some people may listen to this be like, oh man, it's been like this for years. But if you're thinking that, my, I would tell you, you probably work for a company that's actually a little cutting edge because a lot of companies haven't brought research too much in the in the beginning of it. But that's where I see research now, very mature in the testing and, and user you know tracking, eyeball tracking, all of that stuff, but really getting bigger on the, the front end, like earlier stage. Yeah, and I think I was still seeing the effects of what Christian described when I started out in product about six years ago. I remember we kind of always had to fight to get our clients to consider doing research before starting on UX or before starting on product marketing, getting some of those you know insights from potential customers because their experience, the founders, you know, during that time, their experience had been what Christian just described, where it's just a lot of data and not a lot of insights. It's just kind of, here's a summary of everything we found. And then somebody was like, still not really doing the synthesis. Okay, like, what does that mean when you go to build your product? So when they thought research, it was a bad taste in their mouth of like, now there's this mound of information that I have to go through. 
that I just spent a bunch of money on, but I'm probably not going to have time to read. Mm-hmm. Versus when we thought of research, it was like, we'll sort through all that for you, and we'll pull out those key insights that we think are going to affect the way that you should be operating from here on out. I remember, to, to date that, that like 2016, I remember getting into an actual like fairly loud argument with one of our like closest clients we've worked with a lot. I don't know if you were there that day, but I was, Probably. it was it upstairs and it was very, it was very loud. <laughs> and it was like, it was two, we have very similar personalities and I was like, we have to do research. And he was so against it. So yeah, that was extreme, but you're totally right. Back in 2016, which is only five, about five and a half years ago, we were still, you know, fighting to advocate for that. Yeah. Can, can we unpack some more reasons why people are against research? Like what you mentioned there's a difference between data and then the insights you have to take from it and analyze it. So is it that misconception that makes people afraid of research? What what kind of holds people back? It might be. I, I think that's definitely a part of it. I one other thing I've seen is I think some people are scared. If they are if they have this idea, they're really confident in this idea. They've also sunk a bunch of time and money into this idea. And they're getting some good feedback from the market. What if the research comes back and says that I'm doing something wrong. And then obviously, if you're a mature person, you think, well, then I pivot and I start doing the right thing because doing the wrong thing's not gonna get me anywhere. And at least now I know what the right thing is. But I do think there is like a, a lot of fear of like, once you know what the research tells you, you have to act on it, even if it hasn't been what you've been doing up until this point. I think you, you mentioned too, like doing research and being afraid that there's nothing there. When you see like big companies that have more money, that's what they do. They actually spend money to figure out if they should pursue something because they know spending a quarter million on a on a new idea or a new product to research it is a way cheaper way to validate than to invest millions and find it flop in the market. But I, I really like what you said, Megan, about fear. And I would actually even say, I don't know that most people, most founders would articulate that. It's like they don't know. I feel like you're you're actually like uncovering the secret, which is there's actually fear. Sort of like why the average person doesn't really want to get feedback from somebody because you don't really want to hear what's wrong. It makes you feel like, oh, there's something wrong with you or it's like work, I've got to go do that. I would say the two things that I've seen, and I would not say many people are against research now, it's completely changed. Mm -hmm. But I would say one factor for early stage uh, startups is time. Like anything that's not, geared towards getting the product out and and iterated on feels like you're you're like wasting time and i really empathize with that with with founders and then i think the second reason that i see is that that people sometimes in the founder mindset feel like they know the market some of them might come from the market that they're designing for like i know what the users are and say i get it but there may be some uncertainty and sometimes we'll relent with founders and say, that's cool, you can be the stakeholder because we'll, we'll evaluate and see like the cost of research versus getting to market. Is it too expensive? Should we just get it out there and, and sort of see what's there? We just try to tell them what the risks are. If you go off of what your idea is, it might have bigger chance to be off. And if they're okay with that, I think that's okay too. Mm-hmm. The last thing, I, I guess, this isn't like a third thing, but it's another thought as you were answering, Megan, is I do feel like there's this greater appetite for testing and refining. We see so many product leaders that want to get things out fast and iterate on it. And I don't know, I would call that research necessarily, but it but it is. It's like, they're not saying I don't want to research. It's like, I just want to get something out, see what's resonating. But it's almost like... Like researching by doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. like... 
I think some of what we've talked about is almost this concept of a waterfall style of research where I do it at front, release, do it at the end. But now we're seeing like continuous research, exactly. continuous development, continuous improvement. So it on one side, you could say, oh, research doesn't happen. On the other side, I say that's because it's like happening like all the time. Right. It's more experimental. It's like you're running yeah. experiments, you get results back and then you try something new. Yeah, that fits really well with my next question, which is getting more into like the people who do research. So like Christian, you just talked about this being a continuous thing that a lot of founders, like they want to test and iterate and try new things. At Innovate Map, you know, like we have a dedicated like product research team. There are professionals who learn how to do this properly. And like you said, not just have data and report that back, like glean impactful insights from it. And the product research space specifically, a lot of products are emerging that are trying to be almost like a supplement or a replacement for those teams. And I'm wondering, like, is this a good thing for products at large? Well, I think it's hard to be like binary, whether it's good or yeah. bad. I think um, I think when used correctly, I think it's a good thing. But there's one, I can't think of a better analogy that might resonate with more people. So I'm just going to go with what why this just popped into my head. But like we have a deck in the backyard and it's made of wood planks and one will rot every two years and I have to replace it. Mm -hmm. And the next plank has to be put in place and it's got to match the length of the other. So if you were to just adopt a fully like, we're just gonna go put it in and try and keep tweaking, that would be the equivalent of me putting that plank in place, eyeballing it, oh, it's too long, taking it back, cutting off a piece of it, taking it back, measuring it, oh, still too long, and just doing that over and over. That's ridiculous. What would be a better way? That's what I would do. For <laughs> <laughs> okay. In the construction. Yes, and that's why neither of us are in it. And yeah. I do that sometimes. But we talk about, you know, measuring twice to cut once. And this metaphor works on that level where you say, in a place where you can actually reduce your uncertainty a lot or to zero, like in this case where you measure it, go measure the damn thing and then go cut it. And then it's just one. So I would say that's the thing you're balancing is if you're, in my opinion, with research, you're trying to reduce uncertainty, but you're never trying to come up with the end all be all answer. Anybody who thinks research can tell them this is definitely going to work has a misguided understanding of research and just the design and product process. But in general, it's better to do some of that up front to reduce the risk that you're going to have later. There's some, like I said, the measuring and cutting is, a, is like a stand-in example for there are a lot of things you can actually figure out with research that you don't need to actually wait until the development cycle to fix. That's what design is for. That's what product having a product research team is for because they're experts in building the right studies or doing the right things to help guide it later. However, like I said, on the other hand, it's great to have the continuous because you'd also don't want people to just sit there and act like they can't make tweaks. Like it's not waterfall anymore. You don't have to wait six months to uh, create a patch for your product. And I think that uh, research products and research professionals are not mutually exclusive. Like this mm -hmm. isn't a situation where the robot's taking my job. Like actually these research products in the hands of research professionals are gonna make this a much more powerful 
experience, it's actually going to turn them into like the bionic man, you know, it's, I mean, to use another probably like bad analogy, think of like a doctor with an x-ray machine versus a doctor trying to figure out where the broken bone is without an x-ray machine. Mm -hmm. Like that's what these products are going to be able to do for research professionals. That's him like like hitting yeah. you in different spots. <laughs> yeah. like, Ow, stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then still like not quite sure which one. Right. Now I don't know which bone it is. There's a lot in there. Yeah. We don't need any more old. I'll cut you open and we'll just figure <laughs> out which one it is when I get in there. Don't worry. Yeah. There's ghosts in your blood. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. It, I mean, we, we've covered a little bit of this on the show. Like I think about Justin Bauer of Amplitude in the fall, like, all, their entire platform is about getting better research, but it doesn't just go into the ether like they target product managers specifically to help them use it correctly, like you said. The Not tool. replace them. Exactly. Right. And I don't yeah. think that they would ever say they're going to replace researchers, too. I think so true. Yeah. You know, a lot of what they do is the companies like Amplitude is they just they create more data that's available to form your insights. But what researchers should be good at and product people should be good at with research is synthesizing and finding those patterns. That's, yeah. that's what I think like the human mind is really great at, the computers won't. But what computers can do is like send you signals and tell you pieces of data that you can then look at like, oh wow, I just uncovered something. And then what we're gonna do about it, that's a whole, that's, that's where the human judgment comes in. Well, great, so to summarize, you know, we've talked through this, Research has become more continuous is a big takeaway for listeners. Again, we're, we're having a lot of products emerge that are supporting research, but not necessarily replacing researchers. You need both to succeed. So just keep that in mind as we you know, see the market continue to shift and grow through research. I just wanted to ask you too, are, do you have any last advice for people, especially if you know they are thinking about research, not for the first time, but like as they're navigating these changes, do you want to call out any recommendations for them as they decide, okay, what's actually valuable to measure versus what's not? I will go back to something I just said because I could talk even more philosophically about this, but I would say this isn't really tactical, but it's a mindset. Research in the product world. So we talked, we started with science fair. In, in your science fair science method, you do research, you form a hypothesis, you do tests, you observe, you report the results, and you keep doing that until you get to the answer. The research is really targeted, but in product, it's formative, it's experimental, and it is not scientific. So your goal is not to come up with the answer. And I see this repeat, and I have for years, like people get maybe a false sense of confidence or security in the research that we can research this, design this, and it will beget success, like it will guarantee success. And I would just caution that Research is just helping you form better opinions. It should create data that helps you make better judgments, but just don't rely on it so much that it becomes like this this sort of like guiding light for everything you do in product. And that ties really well into what I was going to say, which is one of, uh, it's a common pitfall we see for early stage founders, which is as much as Christian and I will advocate for doing research all day long, don't over-index the voice of your customer. So if you have a good idea, you found product market fit, you're confident in like the direction that you're heading in and, and your backlog and your roadmap, uh, if one person says, I wish you had this feature, or if two people say like, oh, you know, you're like talking funny on your website, like don't take every piece of feedback you get to heart. Really look for patterns, wait until things pop up a few more times, or if you get a 
particularly good idea from a customer, put it on the backlog and wait. You don't need to do it tomorrow. And that's the biggest thing. That's when you get like feature soup and people just kind of running around with their heads cut off when they're trying to start a company because they just don't know who they should be listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So hold your ground. Hold your ground. Yeah. Trust. Yeah. And trust your gut. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's a great way to say where it does tie all this together that don't forget that your own expertise is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You had the bravery to, to start something. You knew something mm-hmm. about the space you're operating in. Yeah. I love it. Well, great. Well, thanks for this. Uh, again, I, w- I wouldn't call this a deep dive, but a shallow dive into a very big research discipline. Um, shallow feels bad. Yeah, let me rephrase that. <laughs> also, you're not supposed to dive in shallow water, you Erica. You're not. You, like, no. back up. Actually, no, you I can't. Just, it's always work. a sign. With Steve-O, and that's what he said. Okay, never. No more Steve-O references for what to do. <laughs> yes, a yes. deep, a nice medium, medium, medium dive. dive. Medium depth, the coral reef depth maybe what you want us to dive into a coral reef? one of us to dive into it but that's about the depth I'm thinking. that's true coral okay. reef isn't very deep it's but it's, it's just not really super far shallow. out there yeah we're, we're far out okay we are far out <laughs> well right. peace out to our listeners thank you for joining us again we'll see you next time and keep listening to better products if you're not in the community slack is still there and waiting for you and we'll see you next week Thanks for joining us. And if you haven't yet, be sure to join the Better Product community. We've got all sorts of content and resources for you. And if you want more audio, don't forget the Business of Product is our latest show to join the Better Product Network. And you can find that and more at betterproduct.community.